0: Jonah 3, this is the word of Almighty God. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, and going a day's journey... And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, How they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Will you pray with me? Lord, please teach us. Please show us your glory. Please work in us your will for your church. God, only you can change our lives. We are powerless on our own to make ourselves what we should be, but you can teach us and grow us, and I pray that you will, in Jesus' holy name, amen. You can be seated. I want to start this morning by asking you to think with me about a few different words. And particularly, I want you to think with me about whether or not each word that I say to you gives you a positive or a negative feeling, okay? And you have to respond to me with either positive or negative, okay? Otherwise, this game does not work. Christmas. All right, all right. Summer. I heard a negative from Kelly. Everybody else is good. Talk to her about that, okay? Okay. Injury. All right. Baseball. <laughs> you people. Mask. Okay, never mind. It's going to be different depending on who you are. Mountains. Okay. Dentist. Oh, poor dentist. Now what do they do? Repent. Repent. Got some positive out of that. Good. It's that last word, repent, that we're going to think about for a bit this morning. Because you see, for many a Christian, the word repent stirs up some very negative connotations. For some, repent brings up a picture of a crazy dude on the street corner with a sign that says, repent for the end of the world draweth nigh. And some of you are the kind of people who would do that. I could name you, but I'm not going to right now. But you know I know who you are. For other people here, the word repent reminds them of an angry person with a wagging finger that looks like it's a mile and a half long and a scowl on their faces saying that you need to stop doing what I said and and this commanding this majorly difficult life change as if it's nothing at all. Maybe repent as a word gives you The idea of giving up something you kind of don't want to give up doing. And if those negative impressions are strong in your mind when you hear the word repent, I want to ask you to give it one more chance because repentance is actually a very beautiful thing. Repenting is a gift given to you and me by God. Repenting is going to be a part of your life so long as you draw breath on this earth until Jesus returns or you die first. Christian friend, if you are alive today, if you desire to follow Jesus, repenting must be a part of your life. And as you follow Jesus, more and more as the years go by, repentance, as I heard an old Puritan once write, repentance will become like a dear friend you may even miss once it's no longer needed in glory. Now you might be hearing me this morning and not yet be a follower of Jesus. Let me remind you that God's word commands us to repent in order that we might be saved. We must repent to be forgiven by God and granted eternal life. Mark chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 says, Now after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The call to repentance is central to the call to all things Christian. John MacArthur writes, quote, The Bible is clear. Repentance is at the heart of the gospel call. Unless we're preaching repentance, we are not preaching the gospel our Lord has charged us to preach. The centrality of repentance is evident from the fact that it's commanded by John the Baptist, Matthew 3, verse 8, the disciples, Mark 6, verse 12, Peter, Acts 2, 38, Paul, Acts 17, 30, and of course Jesus, as we read in Mark chapter 1, Matthew 4, 17, Revelation 2, 5. With a group of men like that preaching repentance as part of the gospel, it should go without saying that an understanding of repentance is crucial for any believer. And I would suggest that there's something that you need to understand about repentance even to become a believer. Whether you have believed in Jesus or not, I invite you today to come along as we work through Jonah 3 And we're going to find seven quick points to write down to teach us about repentance. They're going to come as we see one of the most glorious and stunning repentances in all of the Bible. And hopefully, they're going to help you and me understand how to embrace the concept of repenting better for ourselves. So, are you ready to get started? Point number one. Repentance is about God's Word and God's mercy. Repentance is about God's word and God's mercy. Look at verses one and two. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. In case you don't know where we've been, Jonah is a prophet of God who lived in the northern kingdom of Israel sometime in the early eighth century. Century BC. If you don't know what that means, that means between the years, say, 800 and 750 BC. Jonah heard from God that he was to go to Nineveh, a major city in the brutal Assyrian Empire, and he was to speak to the people a message from God because of their wickedness. But Jonah, well, what do y'all think? Did Jonah go? Nope. Jonah ran the other way, he took ship in the opposite direction. And God was undeterred, hurling a great storm upon the sea. The Lord made it impossible for Jonah to get away from his calling. Eventually, the sailors, understanding Jonah was the cause of their calamity, hurled Jonah into the sea. And the sea calmed down, and the sailors praised God for their rescue. As Jonah sank down beneath the waves, he understood he was going to die. Then the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And the rebellious prophet was in the belly of a fish for three days. And Jonah understood he had been rescued by God. And even while he was in the fish, Jonah prayed, thanking God for his rescue and vowing that he would follow the Lord. And then at the end of chapter 2, the fish spit Jonah out on the dry land. I bet he looked very nice. Now we have no idea how much time has passed since Jonah was unceremoniously left on a beach somewhere. Chapter 3 might begin just minutes after chapter 2. It might be hours, it might be months, we don't know. But now as chapter 3 begins, we see that God's word has come once again to Jonah. And again, Jonah is called by God to go to Nineveh and speak what God commands. And before we see Jonah's response, we understand that there's a big question. God has commanded, will Jonah obey? Has Jonah changed? Is there genuine repentance in the life of the prophet? But let's also see some beauty in verses 1 and 2. Jonah had rebelled against God he tried to refuse God's command and by all biblical rights Jonah should be dead the wages of sin is what death had Jonah earned it you betcha but God has shown Jonah mercy how did God show Jonah mercy God didn't kill Jonah the first moment that he ran. God didn't let Jonah flee and end up in personal destruction. And once God saved Jonah's life from death and his soul from certain damnation, God spoke his word to Jonah a second time. Please understand, God is not required to give anybody a second chance. Neither is God required to give any person his commandments, honestly. God has every right as the holy creator of everything that is. He has the right to expect you and me to meet his standard whether he tells us what his standard is or not. And God has every right to throw us into hell the first moment we ever fail to meet God's standard of perfection. He has the right to do that. Thus, for God to give an opportunity for Jonah to repent, for God to give Jonah the word of God a second time, that is God showing us that he is merciful and gracious beyond compare. In your own life, there are going to be times when you have been called by God to change. You're going to be called by God to turn away from sin and to change so that you begin to follow the lordship of our God and when God calls you to change know that he is having mercy upon you he could have just squashed you without communicating anything to you and he would have been right but he's chosen to tell you what he commands he's chosen to command you and call you to repent repentance is about God's Word and God's mercy Repentance is about God's word because you and I will never know how to follow God without learning it from scripture, from the Bible. How gracious is it of God that he would put you here at this time. He, you're here in this age. You are here with the word of God is readily available to you. How wonderful is it that you can sit under the preached word right here and you can listen to solid Bible teachers from all over the world on the internet and you can read great books. How wonderful it is that God, by giving you that word, is reaching out to you in mercy. God says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that call is a call of loving kindness from the word. So will you repent? Will Jonah repent? Let's keep moving on and see. Point number two, repentant people obey God. Repentant people obey God. Look at verse three and four. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Journey, er, (laughs) Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he called out, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Though Jonah's going to have some problems that we'll get to in chapter 4. For now we see that Jonah is in fact repenting. He's heard the word of God and he obeys. Jonah arose, he went to Nineveh and he spoke the message of God to that city. Now, the text tells you something about Nineveh, though it's not actually super easy to interpret without more historical info. Nineveh is a great city. That could mean that it's physically large. It could just mean that it's important. We see that Nineveh is a three-day journey in breadth. Some commentators say that means it's just physically huge, a big, wide, massive city. Or maybe... Some other commentators will say to you that this city is so important that it will take you three days to work through all the, per- the appropriate political channels so that you can get a meeting, get an audience in the right section of the city. My guess is what we're saying here is that Nineveh is such a physically large city, it would take you three days of going all through the city for you to see it all or for you to get your message into every part of the town. Well, Jonah, once he arrived in Nineveh, he began the proclamation of a pretty simple sermon. I want you to look at Jonah's sermon. Because when you see Jonah's sermon, you're going to think to yourself, Travis, your sermon is way too long. Here's the whole sermon. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I'm done. You got to get the sharpness the shortness, the simplicity of this message, so you can see the glory of God in this chapter. All we know that Jonah ever says to these people is, Hey, little over a month, y'all are dead. Notice what's not in that sermon there's no mention of God, there's no offer of God's grace, there's no call to repent, there's just a proclamation that Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And before we look to see how the people of Nineveh react to the message of Jonah, I want us to grab one important point about repentance. Yes, repentance is about God and God's Word, and of great importance, Christians, repentant people obey God. If you are looking at your own life and you're wondering, have I ever repented before the Lord? Ask yourself this question. Do I obey God? The word of God. Now I'm not saying by the way that you must obey God perfectly every time. Just ask yourself, is my life marked by obedience to the commands of the Lord? If someone looked at my life, would they say that's a life that follows the written word of God? And don't be confused, I'm not suggesting that you become a child of God because you do what He says. Obedience never has saved a soul. I'm telling you, if you're a child of God, a result of you being a child of God is that your life is going to be marked more and more, step by step, day by day, in obeying the Word of God. True believers have a desire to learn and follow the scriptures. Back in chapter 1, Jonah had no hint. He showed no hint that he loved God, that he knew God, that he would obey God. Jonah did not obey anything the Lord told him to do. But here in chapter 3, something's changed. Jonah gets a command from God and Jonah obeys. At least for now, Jonah has repented. Now, third point. Repentance includes new belief. Repentance includes new belief. Look at verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. That verse, friends, is one of the single most amazing verses you will ever read it most certainly is one of the clearest arguments for the sovereignty of God over the faith and the salvation of men you heard Jonah sermon right yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown the people of Nineveh were Syrians They didn't believe in Jonah's deity. They didn't acknowledge Jonah's authority to speak for the one true God. Their empire was larger and more powerful than the nation of Israel. What possible explanation could you come up with for why the people in a large, powerful, wicked city would believe Jonah's message? And by the way, do not think that you can answer why they believed with some earthly answer. There's no reason to think that something about Jonah's physical appearance was a factor. I've actually read people saying that Jonah marched into the city and he was still all slime covered because he'd been in the fish's belly and it scared people into repenting. There's no logical reason to think that Jonah never washed off between the fish and Nineveh. It spat him on the beach. He was right there. Jonah did nothing to demonstrate the power of God. Jonah didn't say to the people, I really wish you would repent. I really wish you would change. He did not invite them to repent. He did not invite them to change. No, get this God is sovereign. The Lord moved the hearts of these wicked Ninevites to make them believe God took spiritually dead, rebellious, wicked hearts and made them alive and empowered the people to hear Jonah's message and fear for their very lives. And we see evidence of that in the fact that the people fasted, they put on sackcloth, which is a rough material that people wear when they're in mourning, And we see even greater evidence of God's power in the fact that this belief and the fear was present in all kinds of people, important and unimportant, rich and poor, from the least of them to the greatest. By, By the way, just think about it. Imagine somebody walks down onto the strip, gets out in front of the Bellagio, it says, 40 days and this city's doomed. And the whole town stops partying and starts praying. That's what happened in Nineveh. What the people of Nineveh show us here is the beginning of repentance. I realize, by the way, I've not given you a definition of the word repent, but now's the time for us to get started down that track if you ask some people what it means to repent, some people are going to say it means to regret something. Some people will say repentance is turning 180 degrees in the opposite direction. It's an about face in military terms. Some people say to repent is to change your mind. And every one of those answers are both correct and incomplete. In the Bible... There are three major concepts tied closely together to the words translated repent in English. They include a change of one's thinking, a change of one's emotion, and a change of one's direction. What you think, what you feel, what you do changes if you repent. If you want a seminary definition, I would suggest to you that true repentance is A change of one's thinking or attitude toward a sin which leads to sorrow, subsequently leading to a radical turning away from the sin and turning to God. You want to hear that again? How did I know? True repentance is a change of one's thinking or attitude toward a sin. First part. Change of one's thinking or attitude toward a sin which leads to sorrow, second part, subsequently leading to a radical turning away from the sin and turning to God. And if repentance is to change your thinking, change your emotion, and change your direction, what we see here in verse 5 is a clear claim of the first part, at least a change of thinking. If you were reading a Greek verse in the New Testament with repent, one of the words that's translated repentance is the Greek metanoia, and it literally means to think again, to rethink. Meta again, noeo, what you think, what you know, what you believe. And that word often translates the Hebrew word naham which means, again, to think differently. It has a bigger meaning than metanoia, but part of it is in there. If you are ever to repent, you must think differently than you thought previously. In the case of the people of Nineveh, they originally believed themselves to be safe. They heard Jonah's message, and they suddenly believed themselves to be in danger. If someone doesn't know Jesus yet, Repenting for life begins with a change of their belief. You stop thinking that you're fine as you are and you realize that you're in danger of facing the judgment of God. You stop thinking that you're the one in charge of your life and you believe God to be the boss. You believe the truth about Jesus, that he's God's son. He's the only way for you to be forgiven. And you begin to believe for the very first time that coming to Jesus for salvation is better than living for yourself and walking into judgment. And for a Christian, repenting includes a change of your belief. Maybe you live thinking that a certain thing is okay before God. And suddenly, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, through the encounter with God's Word, you start realizing that you were wrong. You learn that it's not okay. If your belief about something doesn't change, you haven't repented. But more than belief changes when a person repents, and you see that in the folks in Nineveh. Point number four, still with me? Point number four, repentance includes humble sorrow. Repentance includes humble sorrow. Look at verses six to the beginning of verse eight. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation, and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. See, not only did the people on the street in Nineveh, believe that the city's in danger, word gets out to the king. And the king just like the other people, believes. We don't know if this guy is the king over all Assyria, or if he, the king of Nineveh, is just the king over Nineveh and the surrounding area who is under the Assyrian emperor. But either way, this is a pretty important official, and he's responding by the grace of God. The king issues a royal decree, and it's for everybody in the city. The king declares a season of royally mandated fasting. He's commanding a season of mourning. Even the animals in the land are supposed to put have sackcloth thrown over their backs and not able to eat for a time. Everybody in Nineveh, every person, every animal is to outwardly express contrition, outwardly express sorrow for the sinful wickedness of Nineveh. Do you see the glory of God at work here, by the way? Oftentimes, even when the people of some nation or city recognize that they've been wrong in their behavior, the rulers, the political powers, often refuse to acknowledge it. But God has worked so powerfully here that with a one-sentence sermon from Jonah, the king takes the lead in calling the people to say that they're sorry for their sin. Repenting is both to think differently and to feel differently. Another Greek word that is translated repent sometimes is metamelamai, literally to feel again, to change how you feel. And again, the Hebrew nacham has the same idea in it that one's emotions are changed And the picture here is that once you see that your actions or beliefs have been wrong, you have concern, you feel sorrow for what you have done. So if somebody's not yet in Christ, part of repenting includes not only a change of what you believe about yourself and about Jesus, but it also includes a change in how you feel about your circumstance. You're going to feel sorrow that you have dishonored a perfect and good God you're going to feel fear that you're in danger of judgment. You're going to develop a dislike of living in opposition to God. That's part of being saved. And for the Christian, repentance includes that same sort of thing. If you see something in your life and you realize that that thing in your life has been wrong, that you're going too far, maybe you're maybe you're uh, talking about people and you realize the way you're talking isn't okay. Maybe you've been... Maybe you're consuming a substance that affects your mind too much. Maybe, maybe you're, you're just skipping church and, and, and you realize that you don't have a good reason to do so. Once you realize something in your life is wrong by the grace of God, by the convicting power of the Spirit of God, you know what you're going to do is you're going to feel sad that you've been wrong. True godly sorrow over sin is part of repenting. And if there is no sorrow in your heart for your sin, you have not repented of it. The king in Nineveh commanded acts of expressing sorrow. But that's not all. Point number five repentance includes calling out to God for mercy. Repentance includes calling out to God. For mercy. Verse 8. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. So the king commands prayer. The people of Nineveh. Believing that they're in danger. Expressing sorrow for their wrongdoing. Are now to cry out to God. Repentant people will in fact ask God for mercy. Now. This was not a step in my definition of repentance. But in all experience of repentance, it's going to be there. Repentance is tied closely to the confession of sin. Repentance includes you throwing yourself on the mercy of God. It's commanded Nineveh, and it's right for us too. In 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9, John writes, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if somebody needs salvation, if you want to be saved, this should not be a step you overlook. Once you realize that you're a sinner and that you regret opposing God, once you believe that Jesus is your only hope of salvation, you pray, right? You speak up. Like the thief on the cross next to Jesus, you plead, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Or like the tax collector in the parable, you pray, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. How many of y'all were saved and didn't include a prayer? At some point, you talked to God and said, Lord Jesus, please save me. And once you're a Christian and you repent of sins still, you're going to still do the same thing. You're going to pray. You're going to talk to God. You're going to say to the Lord, God, I know that I've been wrong here. Please, because of Jesus, forgive me. Point number six. Repentance includes a change of behavior. Repentance includes a change of behavior. Look again at verse 8. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. So not only does the king say to the people, Believe you're in trouble. Show that you're sorrowful. Pray for mercy. He commands that the people stop the evil that they're doing that earns them the wrath of God. Turn away from evil. Turn away from your violence. And this gets to the final aspect of the repentance definition I gave you. Change how you think. Change how you feel. Then change how you behave. Stop doing what's wrong start doing what's right that is a powerfully important part of repenting in Greek one final word that I'll give you for repent is the Greek epistrepho Hebrew it's the word shub and these words literally mean to change your direction to turn around to turn back somebody tells you that repenting isn't about face they're pointing to this concept being communicated by those words. If you know something in your life is wrong, if you feel sorrow over your sin, if you cry to God for mercy, you have not repented if you haven't actually changed the thing you're doing. So for the person who doesn't yet know Jesus, this is the final step of commitment in the repentance process. You believe that you're a sinner. You believe Jesus is your only hope. You feel a genuine sorrow for your sinning against God. You want to be saved. You ask Jesus, please, Jesus, save me. And vital to saving faith, you surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You acknowledge Jesus is your king and you are his subject. You begin to live your life for the glory of Jesus Christ. You turn away from evil. You embrace the good for the glory of God. And Christians, repenting by turning is something we do too. When you see that something you do is wrong, feel sorrow for that wrong, ask God for forgiveness for the wrong, you stop doing what's wrong and you replace it with a godly alternative. And I'll tell you again, if your behavior hasn't changed, you haven't repented. What will be the result of repentance for Nineveh? What would be the result of repentance for you and me? point number seven how many of you are surprised we made it to seven point number seven repentance leads to life look at nine and ten who knows god may return and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. You know, Jonah offered the people no grace in his little one-sentence sermon. But the king surmised that if God was telling them of their impending destruction, perhaps God would relent if the people repented. And that's precisely what God did. The Lord didn't wipe out the city once he saw the people changed in how they believed, how they felt, and how they behaved. When the people cried to God for mercy, God had mercy on them. And that is a glorious kindness, a miracle of mercy. The prophet Jeremiah tells us this fits God's character. In Jeremiah 18, verses 7 through 10, it says, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare discerning, concerning a, a nation or kingdom, that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good I had intended to do to it. This should lead us Christians to pray for our nation. May God bring us to repentance May God have mercy on us and withhold from us the wrath we deserve as a people for the violence and the wickedness in our own hands. If you're hearing me and you've never come to Jesus, please hear this last point. True repentance leads to life. See that you need salvation. Sorrow over your sin against God Believe in Jesus and call out to Him to give you mercy. Surrender to His lordship over your life and know this. All who cry out to Jesus in faith and repentance will be saved. And for you who know Jesus, I urge you to embrace repentance as part of the Christian life. Look at your life in the light of God's Word, find what's not in keeping with the Scriptures. After all, repentance is about God's word and God's mercy. Repentant people will obey God. Look at your life and see, am I obeying? Pray that the the Lord will help you see where anything and how you think or how you feel or how you behave fails to match His standard. Then, where God has been kind enough to show you that you are wrong, recognize it, reject it, and replace it with righteousness. That's another good repentance definition, by the way. Recognizing sin, rejecting it with your heart and your attitudes, and replacing it with righteousness. Repentance includes new belief. Repentance includes humble sorrow. Repentance includes calling out to God for mercy. Repentance includes a change of behavior. And friends, here's the good news. Repentance leads to life. May we embrace repenting in Christ for the glory of God based on God's magnificent mercy. Will you pray with me? Lord God, again we come to you now and again we pray. Help us, Lord. Help us to please you. Help us to know where we're right and where we're wrong in our lives. Teach us, God, to repent. Father, you know how desperately we need your mercy. You know how desperately we need to have all the aspects of repentance come into our lives for the places that we're failing you. God, make us know the truth. Sorrow over sin. Cry to you for mercy. Trusting in Jesus. Turning away from evil. Embracing what pleases you. That's our desire. Do that work in us, I pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.